Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Well, we uh, welcome you, those of you uh, that are Zooming with us this morning. Uh, We appreciate you so much coming together in the name of the Lord to join with us as we study Torah. Uh, We endeavor to take all of God's wisdom in the Old Testament and the best we can harmonize it with what the Lord and the Apostle Paul and other apostles gave us in the New Testament. we often joke that Moses and Jesus aren't in arguments in heaven. <laughs> There's not like one side of town is Moses and the Old Testament saints, and the other side of heaven is the Jesus and the New Testament saints. We're all saints. <laughs> We all, those looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, those looking back on the Messiah has come, it's the same Messiah. It's the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, uh, studying the Torah, the Jewish roots of Christianity, uh, is a good thing. And it was prophesied uh, by Malachi, by Jeremiah, by Isaiah, and the other prophets of God that one day this day would happen, that uh, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Christians would come together in the last days. It would be a sign of the Messiah returning. And so we uh, thank God that New Beginnings, led by Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck, uh, are a voice uh, to the Christian world to return to the Jewishness of the gospel. Breaking Christian news, Jesus was Jewish. And he still is. <laughs> and uh, I would imagine that the official language in heaven is Hebrew, not Greek. Amen. So with all of that, that's... Uh, that's what we endeavor to do in the Torah study. Every week there's a weekly Torah reading and there's a weekly prophetic reading from the prophets. And uh, in, uh, in the New Testament church, we've added, we've got them in the back there, the, uh, the Torah readings, even a New Testament reading. And today we're in Torah portion number 21. Uh, this is in Exodus 30 through Exodus 34, and uh, this particular Torah study uh, is features teaching on the infamous incident of Israel worshiping the golden calf. How many of you saw Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments? Every uh, time around Easter, around Resurrection Sunday, they'll play that. And uh, even though that thing by Cecil B. DeMille was back from, I think, the, the late 50s or early 60s, it's still a pleasure to watch and it still moves me to, to see that. And uh, uh, thank God we're on the right side. We're on God's side. If you're on God's side, say amen. amen. And so uh, this uh, infamous 
story of Israel and the golden calf uh, is a pretty outrageous situation because it occurs right after Moses went to meet the Lord for 40 days somewhere up on Mount Sinai. And that meeting uh, was to learn much more of the Torah. Uh, and also to get the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God on stone. Uh, people don't realize, that, but what was, what did Moses and God talk about for 40 days? Not their favorite color. They talked about, uh, all the principles and the guidelines, the, the commentary, God's input into what all the commandments, uh, that I'm giving you in the Bible, what do they mean in a practical way? And how will you understand it in a way that we can govern Israel as a nation, as a society, so that there'll be one nation under God? And so the Torah describes what happens after Moses comes back after this 40 days in Exodus 32. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus 32, verse 1. It says, The people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron, Moses' older brother, the first high priest. And they said to Aaron, make us a shrine which will go before us. Oh boy. We have no idea what became of Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt. So the people took off their earrings brought them to Aaron, who cast them into a molten calf. Some of the people began to say, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Everybody say, OMG. <laughs> what the? Or as Vince Lombardi once famously said when his Green Bay Packers were messing up out on the football field, what the heck is going on out there? <laughs> so obviously there's some problems here. And one of the, the big problems is understanding how Israel could have fallen into sin so quickly after the entire nation had just had a supernatural encounter with the Lord. It's pretty amazing that it just took 40 days after one of the greatest outpourings of God's power, God's Spirit, the world has ever seen, that they somehow backslide, create a golden calf, and announce, this is now who we're going to worship. You know, it's easy to read this story and think, if that was me... There's no way on God's green earth I'm ever going to worship a golden calf. Especially once you receive the greatest of all commandments, I am the Lord your God, don't worship anything else. (laughs) 
Amen. Who still believes I, God is God and we're not to worship anything else. Are we all in agreement that that first commandment is still in effect? And then there's other issues to address. Such as, how could the majority of Israel remain silent while the sin of the golden calf was taking place? Did the majority think that if they just acted like innocent bystanders, they would be absolved of any responsibility? Well, it wasn't me that did it, so I'm in the free and clear. Did they think that since they weren't actually participating uh, in the worship of the golden calf, that it wouldn't affect them personally? The fact is, is that what they were witnessing should have been so absurd, so ungodly, that all of Israel should have risen up to stop the insanity. This is insane. We're not going in this direction. You guys simmer down and find a way to repent because our nation is not going this way. But they didn't do that. And while they didn't realize it at the time, God was going to hold the entire nation responsible. Not just the minority who was concocting all the madness. Now the beauty of it is, is that Moses knew what to do. <laughs> and he, he fell on his face. <laughs> and he began to pray and intercede for Israel. Because God came to Moses and we won't turn over there, but he's going to wipe the whole nation out. He's going to start all over. And, and what a lesson to learn. Amen? Uh, one of the beauties of that part of the story with Moses interceding is that God reveals that His mercy is greater than His judgment. When I was in Bible college, one of my uh, college teachers taught us that grace is getting what you don't deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. <laughs> Amen. Have you, any of you ever raised kids or grandkids? <laughs> We've got a two-year-old grandkid in our house right now. <laughs> mercy, Lord, may mercy be greater than judgment. May my grandson not get what he does deserve. <laughs> And as Moses is interceding, his prayers are answered, and God reveals, this is an amazing part of our Old Testament, God reveals 13 attributes of mercy right there in Exodus 32. And forgiveness is granted. And as part of the process, 
you know, when Moses came down, he broke those commandments. Then he goes back up uh, to get a second set of commandments. And uh, he ends up presenting the second set of commandments on the very first day of atonement. The very first Yom Kippur is when Moses came down from the mountain and he presented the second set, the covenant. He's representing the covenant which shows that God forgave Israel and gave them a second chance to enter into a covenant relationship. How many of you are glad God has many second chances for us? A little bit later on, once the tabernacle uh, was dedicated in Leviticus 9, it says that Aaron offered a calf offering. And uh, ancient Jewish wisdom teaches that the calf offering was to atone for this very sin. The sin of a golden calf, worshiping a golden calf. And what's so amazing in all of the Torah, there isn't another instance of a calf being brought as a sin offering. So a very unique offering. What's the takeaway? Well, there's a lot of takeaways here. One of the lessons that we need to learn today in 2023 Uh, especially in the church, is when immoral and ungodly behavior and ungodly policies raise their ugly head, God expects Judeo-Christians to do something about it. (laughs) We're not innocent bystanders. (laughs) He's saying that we're obligated to be part of a solution. Amen? There shouldn't be any such thing as a silent majority. (laughs) I know we heard about the silent majority in the Reagan years and in other years. The, The majority can't afford to be silent. Right? Because God is saying that I'm going to hold everyone responsible for whether you live as one nation under God or not. In one way or another, we're all going to experience fallout if we stand by and let the pagan, secular, humanist, antichrist crowd have their way in our culture and in our society. Now, some people don't like that. Well, you're being too political. No, this is the takeaway from the golden calf. By not becoming part of a godly solution, in effect, we become part of a secular and sinful problem. And we're in danger of experiencing consequences. I dare say we look around in our world today 
and we're living righteous, holy, moral lives, doing our best to follow the Word of God, the principles of God, and yet when leaders get elected and installed into public office and they make immoral ungodly, we do get some of the fallout of that. So the golden calf incident uh, speaks to this. And in, in Leviticus, in a couple weeks, God reveals another important biblical principle that uh, deals with uh, the fallout of something like the sin of the golden calf. He says in Leviticus 20:22, 20, "You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them, obey them, that the land where I am bringing you to dwell may not vomit you out." As Tommy Boy would say, "Schnikes." <laughs> What's going on there? Did that suddenly disappear because of the New Testament? I dare say no. Nations throughout all of history rise and fall depending on how they relate to the Word of God. Now God is patient and long-suffering. He's not willing that any nation should fall, but that every nation would come to the light. Come to the knowledge of the truth, that the Bible is true. That there is but one true God, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and His Son, His only begotten Son, Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ. So in God's Word, idolatry, immorality, sinfulness, ungodliness, practices by an individual, or policies by a government, they're not an option for a Judeo-Christian. Because they bring curses. They bring penalties. They bring judgments that stop the blessing of God. And, uh, you know, we didn't read it, but Moses showed us the antidote. Prayer. Amen? How many of you remember 2 Chronicles 7.14? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then you will hear from heaven and your sins will be forgiven and your land will be restored. There's the antidote. Amen? Amen. Repentance. Intercessory prayer. And stopping the sinfulness. That's what leads to forgiveness and restoration. As an individual, in your own personal life, or if somebody you're praying with, counseling, working with, that is going through all of this one step forward and five step back situation, the antidote is repentance, prayer, and stop sinning. As Jesus told the woman uh, uh, caught in the act of in the act of adultery, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. 
So this means Christian people shouldn't be standing by on the sidelines silently while the Judeo-Christian-phobic crowd, how do you like that word? The Christian-phobic crowd passes laws that ban the Bible. They're still trying to do that. The Constitution, uh, First Amendment, all the Supreme Court rulings say, no, you can't take away a student's right or a person's right to live out their faith in public. And yet, there's still resistance. Same with prayer. I do have good news for you, especially in the uh, academic world. As long as there are still tests, there will always be prayer in school. (laughs) But that's why they're stopping tests now. They're dumbing everything down. Probably because the devil knows. (laughs) Let's stop prayer. But in order to stop the sinfulness, sometimes we have to go further than just it being in our prayer closet. Yeah, We have to stop the sinning sometimes and the sinfulness by voting for people that reflect our values. And that's a real sticking point in church because not everybody in church understands how to sort through all the madness and all the noise and discern who who's godly and who's ungodly here's here's a clue uh actions speak louder than words if somebody has a voting record you can kind of (laughs) tell How they're going to take the nation. Are they going to take the nation closer to biblical things or further away? And we could go on and on and on there. Proverbs 17.15 says, Whoever approves of wicked people and whoever condemns righteous people is disgusting to the Lord. We'll apply that to media. Apply that to politicians. Apply that to the general public out there who approves of wickedness, wicked people, who's ever condemning my right to assemble and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In God's eyes, that's disgusting that you would stand against God's people Because when you stand against God's people, you're standing against God. Look what happened during the pandemic. Church was declared by the government, you are not essential. Casinos are essential. Liquor stores are essential. Strip clubs are essential. All these other places are essential. But if you go and assemble in church, you're in violation of the law and we will fine you and tax you and harass you. That happened. And they're still trying to get away with all of that. 
And if we set, uh, stand by and let the ungodly people set up the golden calves of the modern day world and alienate us from our right to worship the King of Kings, we, we can't just be a silent majority. Christians are to be seen, not heard. Now, Christians are not to be seen and not heard. You see what's happening. So, even the church has some issues to deal with. In in many circles, casual Christianity replaces being a disciple of Christ. Yeah? Some are being taught, once saved, you no longer have to repent of anything. I've heard that on TV. I've seen the social media pages, the posts that, uh, that prominent pastors have made. We don't need to preach repentance anymore. It's too condemning. Uh, we just need to live our lives quietly uh, and people will get the message. I just uh, saw the clip the other day about one famous pastor uh, who was preaching against uh, sharing our biblical values with anybody. He found a scripture that was paraphrased in one of the paraphrased translations that says, Mind your own business. And that became the fundamental part of his sermon. Christians, don't be going out there and telling people about uh, God's way. Mind your own business. If you share your biblical values of righteousness and holiness and morality and godliness, especially with sinners, you're doing it the wrong way. Mind your own business. And especially when you're with pagan, ungodly believers. And so when I I heard that, and then this lesson came up, uh, I got, okay, okay. So just as in the golden calf, a minority of people started stirring up this whole ungodly form of worship. And even now, it's like some of our churches are... seem to be in agreement with the Antichrist crowd. But you would expect the Antichrist to say that. What does the Word say? Well, look at Matthew 5.48. This is the Lord Jesus Himself. You, therefore, must be perfect, growing into complete maturity of godliness in mind and character, having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5.48 in the Amplified. So there's a, Jesus is laying out an expectation of the ABCs of life, attitude, behavior, and conduct. 
We need to be striving, attaining, looking to grow and mature in virtue and integrity, in maturity of godliness in mind and in character. That's an expectation. There's a, well, one guy, one preacher, there's nothing I have to do. Yeah, there's a lot you have to do. Get busy working on yourself. Romans 6.15. In Romans 6.15. Therefore, what conclusion should we reach? Let's go on sinning. Because we're not under legalism, but under grace. Heaven forbid! (laughs) That That was the argument going on at the time. Let's go on sinning. There's no need to repent. Jesus died on the cross, so once forgiven, always forgiven. A one-time event. We're not under legalism. We're under grace. That teaching's going around out there. But Paul says, the Bible says, inspired by the Lord Himself, heaven forbid that people would think that way. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents... Meaning that we're sojourners. This is not our final uh, destination. <laughs> I urge you not to give into the desires of your old nature, which keep warring against you. Meaning that there's this fight of faith that happens throughout our journey towards the sweet by and by. Verse 12. But live such good lives among the pagans that even though they now speak against you as the evildoers, they will, as a result of seeing your good actions, give glory to God on the day of His coming. There's an expectation there. Yeah. Live such good lives. Stop sinning. Grow and mature in the things of God. If we stumble and fall, Father, forgive me. I did not know what I was doing. Give me another chance. You're the God of the second chance. And how many times will God allow that to happen? Seven times 70, which means infinity. Look at 1 John 5, 17. 1 John 5, 17. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin which does not involve death that may be repented of and forgiven. It's describing kind of a a rinse and repeat process. We know absolutely that anyone born of God does not deliberately and knowingly practice committing sin. 
But the one who was begotten of God carefully watches over and protects him or her, which is Christ's divine presence within him or her, preserves him or her against the evil. And the wicked one does not lay hold, get a grip on him or touch him. Yeah, this is describing a big part of the Christian life. There's things warring against us. We need to fight back. Fight the good fight of faith. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. So, against all those preachers that say, uh, you know, you don't have to repent anymore and sin, eh, forget about it. I rest my case. (laughs) And this is how Moses approaches the issue. When he returns from uh, the mountain to the encampment and sees the people engaged in idolatry and immorality, he issues a challenge. In Exodus 32, verse 25, it says, Aaron had let the people get out of control. Leadership. Can you imagine being in churches which kind of wink at the new sins that we see? Right? And God's saying, Aaron uh, let the people get out of control. Pastors need to preach everything in the Bible. Not to condemn people. Not not to send them to hell, but to save them (laughs) from, from going to hell. And before you get to hell, save you from living in a living hell. Because sin, the wages of sin is death. It leads to all manner of things before eternal death. Sinfulness is not a good thing. So Aaron had let the people get out of control, and they became an object of ridicule to their enemies. No matter how much you try to appease people that want to sin and then play church, they're not going to come to your way of thinking if you are apathetic and you kind of just wink at it and just kind of let it go. Well, uh, they'll eventually figure it out. You'll end up being ridiculed. When Moses sees this, he stands at the entrance of the camp and says, If you're on the Lord's side, come over here to me. And all the Levites came. And a lot of other people were, "Eh, I got one foot in the ungodly camp and one foot in this camp and I'm straddling the fence. But God in these last days is saying to Christians, choose a side. Choose between good and evil. Choose between God's ways and the world's ways. Between God's word and man's secular doctrine and even now man's religious, or should we say irreligious doctrines. Like, you don't need to really follow what the Word says anymore. Just follow your heart. It never lies. 
Jesus said it in the last days, it's going to be like it was in Noah's day. There weren't too many people worried about getting in the ark. <laughs> right? I mean, that's a massive thing that Noah's building. You know, no one can miss the message. <laughs> there's, a, there's judgment coming. And if you're on the Lord's side, you can get in the ark. Not just the animals, you can get in the ark. But if you insist on keeping living like an animal, (laughs) you're going to miss the ark. He also said, the Lord, it'd be like the days of Sodom, the days of Lot. These would be signs of his coming. Now, we don't know when Jesus is going to come, but if you look at all the insanity that's going on right now, it's a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a lot like the days of Noah. I don't know if you've been following artificial intelligence kind of stuff. In the days of Noah, fallen angels cohabitated with the daughters of men and formed a uh, a perverted race of God's creation called the Nephilim. It's in your Bible. And perverting the DNA, perverting gender identity. Jesus said this would be a sign of His coming. And don't you know that right now the devil is indoctrinating children and adults into a pagan, immoral system that includes the educational system. And we keep Americans who love and believe God, apparently, by all the polls, keep sending people to Washington, D.C. that vote for that stuff. How does that work? How does a Christian nation keep electing people like Ahab and Jezebel? (laughs) But these are the birth pangs. So the good news is, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. But at the same time, it's a great falling away that the Apostle Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians 2, that there would be, just before the rise of the Antichrist and his appearance, and just before the rapture of the church, that there would be a great falling away. Unfortunately, some are going to be left behind. Because they're compromising and straddling the fence. Choose ye this day who you will serve. Jesus repeats this message in the book of Revelation to the seven churches. You need to overcome. That's a common theme throughout all of his messages to the churches. Overcome till the end. Amen? And that's our goal, right? We're going to be overcomers, amen? We're going to walk by faith in God and not by faith in the world. And as we're walking, we need to have a voice. Some voices are louder than others. But every little bit helps. We need to be a voice for righteousness. 
Moses said to Israel in the midst of an incredible spiritual meltdown, this is the backsliding of all backsliding. If you're on the Lord's side, come over here to me. Make a move. And so even today, how we respond to that has an impact. There's my little two-year-old grandson. How I live my life has an impact on my daughter and my grandson. Now, it's no coincidence that this week's prophetic teaching, called the Haftorah, is the story of Elijah facing down Ahab and Jezebel. He opposed their government. Uh Uh-oh. Spiritually, he stood up against the government when it came to spiritual, church, synagogue type matters. We're not going to have this worship of Baal and false gods. Not on my watch. Ahab and Jezebel are considered to be the most evil leaders in Israel's history. Jezebel is symbolic of those in power who as pagan secular leaders use ungodly tactics and immoral policies to impose their authority and authoritarianism. Church is not essential. Excuse me? King Ahab, on the other hand, is symbolic of a weak leader who has no courage and moral conviction to stand up against the spirit of Jezebel and speak out against the madness. So Elijah begins to speak truth to power. He takes a righteous stand. And he was willing to confront their pagan agenda. He was like John the Baptist who would come much later. A voice crying in the wilderness. But at the same time, he knew that with he and God, that's a pretty good majority. (laughs) Truth doesn't need a majority. So, he challenges 450 prophets of Baal. And sometimes what we miss is there were another 400 prophets of Ashtoreth for 850 evil prophets against Elijah and God. And uh, he challenges them to an epic showdown on Mount Carmel. Thank God Elijah prevails. (laughs) One, One lone voice. Well, actually, he wasn't the only one. God said that even though a lot of Israel had yielded to all this demonic worship, God assures Elijah that there was still 7,000 righteous people who had not bowed down to idols. A remnant. That story is all in 1 Kings 19, 18 and 19. A remnant. 
How many of you would raise your hand today? You guys watching by Zoom, wherever you're at, would you raise your hand? Would you stand up and be counted among God's faithful remnant of people that won't bow down to Ahab and Jezebel? We don't have time to read it, but in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it describes John the Baptist and his mission and ministry. And verse 17 says, He will go ahead of the Lord with the spirit and power that Elijah had. So that spirit is passing down into generations. That spirit is still passing down. And God is looking for people today who will have a spirit of Elijah on their lives. A spirit of boldness. A spirit of power. A spirit that says, I have no fear. Because God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound disciplined mind. Jesus even talked about this in Matthew 11. He said that John the Baptist is the greatest prophet ever born. And yet, what you're going to do that come after him will even be greater than that. Hallelujah. I receive that into my life. John did no miracles. But what John did is he spoke out against uh, the religious system who had perverted the goodness of God into legalism and he spoke out against Herod and Herodias and all of that immorality going on. He was a shining light, but he was also the salt of the earth. We're called to be light and salt. Salt preserves things from decaying. That's our job as Christians. That we insert our salty attitude towards values and what's right and wrong to preserve our culture and our society from, as my mom used to say, and I never understood it, going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know what that means, but it's still out there. The Lord said through the prophet Malachi that at the end of days there was going to be a release of the spirit of Elijah. Read that in chapter 4 of Malachi. It's a great clarion call, a great challenge to repent from idolatry and immorality and from straddling the fence, being lukewarm, to serve the one true living God. And it's this final manifestation of the spirit of Elijah that's going to usher in the return of the Lord. When he returns, he said, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find my people occupying until I come? In order to do that, we need the spirit of Elijah to come on us. That power, that authority, that dominion, that boldness. And that's one of the hallmarks of Elijah. He is a bold man. 
and he challenged the current power structure and called them out for going against God. Just like John the Baptist. And you and I, through our prayer, through how we vote, through how we articulate our faith, we can do the same thing. Now, we, we can, you don't have to be as loud as me. <laughs> but say something. Register a protest. I, I, I disagree with that. Yeah. Well, I might, if I say so, I might get canceled. I might get canceled. Okay. It's also the spirit of Elijah is a spirit of sanctification. Sanctification means separation. There's this proverbial line being drawn. And God is challenging everybody to separate ourselves and decide, if you're on God's side, come over here with me. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And finally, it's a spirit of restoration. Amen. Israel responded to the boldness of Elijah as they had with Moses. And what followed was a revival, a drawing close to the Lord. It led to repentance, forgiveness, restoration. And all of a sudden, restoration of proper worship, a proper understanding of our relationship with the Lord. Finally, it released a spirit of evangelism. The spirit and power of Elijah is going to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. He needs messengers, preachers, evangelists like you and I, who will just in our own unique way, in our own style, using our own particular uh, traits and ways of doing things, to be a voice for the Lord, a voice for goodness. Because all it takes for evil to triumph is good Christian people to Stand there and say nothing. Amen? So how many of you are thankful that God is sending you the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of boldness, a spirit of faith, a spirit of spiritual vision, of conviction, of a loyalty, a devotion, a love for the things of God, so much so that no matter what it looks like out in the world, we're going to not bend down, bow down, or slow down to Baal. We'll be like Shadrach, Meshach. Jack Abednego, look, there's a fourth one in the fire that looks like the Son of God. God will back that play in your life like He did in that case. So, if you're ready to be an overcomer and triumph in everything, give the Lord a great big hand clap.